0: just uh, pray before we move on. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and uh, the words that he wrote so long ago that uh, applied to his situation but also apply to our situation this day. So Lord, we just pray that through your spirit you would speak to us and help us to gain insights into your will and your purpose for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have noticed, but we've got something of a superhero theme going today. But have you ever noticed that when a superhero discovers that they have superpowers, whatever that may be, whatever those superpowers may be, their lives actually take on a new purpose. You see a change in their lives. The good superheroes become crime fighters and campaigners for justice. They use their superpowers to fight evil villains and and people who just want to create havoc and destruction, who want to rule the world. But I wonder if you realise that when we decide to follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, our perspective on the world changes. Our priorities in life change. And we're given a new power To face the realities of everyday living, everything changes when we become Christian believers. And like the comic book superheroes, we find that we have a new purpose in living this new life that Jesus has called us to live. But unlike the comic book superheroes, this purpose is real, it isn't fiction. When we turn to the Bible, we find many examples of people whose lives were turned around when they placed their faith in God. They found that they had a new God-given purpose in their lives. And through him, they did some amazing things. If we read the accounts of people like Abraham or Moses or Joshua, the judges, David, Elijah, Elisha, And then in the New Testament, Peter, John, and Paul, who we're going to look at a bit more closely today. You'll see what I mean. These guys were superheroes doing amazing things. Ordinary people that God called to do amazing things. They were real superheroes, unlike the fantasy characters we read about in the comic books. So as I said, we're going to look at... (laughs) Apostle Paul, and in particular, uh, from his writing in the book of Philippians, the second part of Philippians chapter 1. Now, Paul was one of the great superheroes of the New Testament. Now, just to be clear, Paul didn't wear a cape or fly through the air. In fact, his physical appearance was not much to inspire us. In fact, one source outside the Bible described him like this, a man of small stature, With a bald head and crooked legs, in good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. It's sort of unlike the uh, medieval portrayals of Paul as this tall, dominant, bearded, long-headed guy in a flowing robe, powerfully standing there proclaiming the gospel. Now, this guy was sort of hunched with a bald head, bushy eyebrows, and a hooked nose not particularly um, somebody who would inspire us at first glance. Yet despite what he looked like, he was a powerhouse for the gospel. He was responsible for writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He was responsible for planting churches right across the Roman Empire at the time. And you could say that since that time, he has influenced millions of people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jumping into Philippians, the background to the letter, I'll just summarise this briefly, is that Paul for the past four years had been in very unpleasant, uncomfortable situations. He'd spent two years in prison in Caesarea on a trumped-up charge. He was then put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before the Emperor Nero for trial. And then Nero was not known for his niceties towards Christians. But on the way, he was shipwrecked. And he was stranded on an island. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. And uh, when he finally arrived in Rome, he spent another two years in prison awaiting trial, with a strong possibility of his being executed at the end of it, although he was hopeful for eventual release. Now, during this two-year period in Rome, he was actually chained to a palace guard 24 hours. Hours a, a day, seven days a week. You can imagine how horrible that was. He had, he had absolutely no privacy. Yet, in spite of all this, Paul writes in Philippians one eighteen, "I will rejo- I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice." Paul was full of joy. What was his secret? How does he stay positive in prison? How does he triumph over these troubles? He, he sets a delight in the difficulties he is facing. He was positive. He was joyful in spite of the fact that everything had not turned out the way that he'd hoped and planned. So Paul then goes on to give us four insights Four insights that he learned about living a new life for Christ and how it transformed him from someone who was ordinary to someone who was remarkable, someone who was a superhero. Firstly, he gained a new perspective. You see, if we're honest, everyone has problems. Everyone has difficulties or faces challenges in their lives. And the first thing Paul teaches is that our problems are actually not as important as how we actually look at or regard those problems. Our perspective, the way we view them, is what makes all the difference. See what Paul says in verse 12. Um, He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know, Paul can see the best even in the worst of situations. He can see God at work in the problems that he faced, even though things didn't turn out the way he'd hoped. He says non believers are being witnessed to, and they're being influenced by his attitude toward them. And lots more believers are being encouraged. Have a look at verse 13, the second part of the reading there. As a result, it's become clear that throughout the whole palace and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. But I don't think this, that this was how he intended to go. Instead of a tourist trip or like a business trip to Rome, God sent him to Rome as a prisoner. He was shackled and he was chained day and night to a member of the palace guard. Now, you and I might see this as a failure, but Paul knew that God had things under control, that God would accomplish his purposes, and he did. During this time in prison, he would have time to write many of the letters that we read in the New Testament. And as well, God had a purpose to him being chained to the palace guards. How does that work? Well, these guards, these palace guards, not just ordinary guards, these were palace guards. They were not the crack uh, elite troops of the Roman Empire. They were personally chosen by Caesar to be his bodyguards. And they were the highest paid soldiers of the empire. And when they retired after 12 years, They were made Roman citizens and often became leaders in Rome and and other uh, areas of the Roman Empire. Now, there's not a more strategic group that Paul could witness to if he's going to reach the Roman Empire. Think about it. God puts Paul in Rome. Nero pays the bill and chains the future leader of Rome to him, to Paul, every four hours. These guards had an inside route to the emperor, and as a result, even some of Nero's family became believers. And so Paul writes consequently because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is bold stuff. Courage, you know, is contagious, it catches and spreads other believers became bold because of Paul being bold. And as a consequence of Paul having a new purpose in his life, his perspective changed. And I guess this is best summed up in his declaration in another part of Scripture in Romans 8.28, which says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Paul says that God has a purpose for him. God has a purpose for our problems. And so we, therefore we need to discern and understand what God's purpose is for our lives. Like the superhero discovering his new powers and his new purpose in life. So our purpose in life changes when our perspective in life and the world changes to be in line with God's purposes. That's the first thing. The second insight that Paul gives us that helped his transformation from the ordinary to the remarkable is that we have a new priority to live by. In verses uh, 15 and 16, Paul says, I'll just paraphrase this. He says, not only am I in prison, But if you want to kick a man while he's down, there are guys out there attacking my ministry. They are jealous and envious of me. Other ministers, other preachers of the gospel are actually criticising me while I'm languishing here in chains in prison. But what does Paul respond? Huh, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, what does Paul do? He rejoices. He's excited that the gospel is being preached despite all this. He wasn't Paul wasn't going to let anybody else steal his joy. Not circumstances, not critics. He said their motives may be wrong, their style may be wrong, may be different to his, but the message is getting out regardless. And if that's the case, so what? Paul had chosen a new set of priorities and he would judge what was important by that priority. For us, we need to know what's really important in order to distinguish the trivial from the significant. We can live our life focused on either problems or we can live our life focused on priorities. And if we don't choose our priorities, we'll go around putting out one fire after another after another. We'll live our life simply lurching from problem to problem to problem and not choosing and not focusing on what is actually really and truly important. It's often helpful, and we're talking about compassion today, that when you actually visit sponsored children and see where they're living and the conditions that they're living, Your perspective changes. Your priority starts to change. You'll meet people who are happy and content and at peace with themselves and with the world in incredibly poor situations, and yet they have the hope of Christ within them. Their priorities are different to so many other people, and it's a privilege. It's an inspiration to meet and to share with them. So what should we live by? Paul says in Proverbs 3, 6, in everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. This is what counts. Putting God and his purposes first in your life. We need to focus on what really counts, what really makes a difference. So a new purpose means change priorities. The third insight that Paul shares is that when we invite Jesus into our lives, we have a new power in our life, a new power. You know, we need strength to keep us going in life. I think you'll realise that more as you get older because life can wear us out. One crisis after another can drain us. We lose our energy, we lose our strength, and we may feel that we've done the best we could but it never seems good enough. And you feel sick and tired. You need a fresh power supply. And Paul says that the two things that give him strength and keep him going in spite of four years of imprisonment are the prayers of other people and secondly, the help of God's Holy Spirit. Have a look at verses 18 and 20. He says, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the, Holy Spirit of, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Point in point, never underestimate the power of prayer. Paul knew that people were praying for him, and he drew strength from that. He was encouraged that, the people, that people were interceding for him in prayer. He knew that God listens to prayer and that God answers prayer. God responds to our prayers. Now, prayer is a very powerful thing. And our prayers can have a profound impact on the people we're praying for. Sadly, we often underestimate the power of prayer to encourage and sustain people in times of hardship and suffering. However, Paul was well aware of the power of prayer I was grateful to the Philippian believers who were praying for him personally. Make no mistake, our prayers count. And we've seen it for ourselves as we've visited uh, places in Africa where our, our sponsored children know we are praying for them. The churches we visit know we're praying for them. And we've seen remarkable answers to our prayers We've seen amazing answers to prayer in this church. The way God has worked through various people, our lives have been changed through people, through people's prayers. So I encourage you, pray. And take every opportunity to join us when we do pray. But the second thing is Paul so also knew that he could count on the power of the Holy Spirit living within him. See, God gives us the Holy Spirit. That's the part of God who dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit gives us strength to endure hardship and persecution. But he also gives us the courage and boldness and the words to speak up for the gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to live the life that Jesus has called us to. He enables us to fulfill God's purposes for our life. And we don't need to do life on our own. Later on in Philippians, Paul states clearly where his energy comes from. Uh, I don't think I've got that in the slide. Uh, Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If we're going to make it in life, we need a perspective to live from so that we can see things as they really are and not the way we feel they are. We need a priority to live by, God's priorities. So we do first things first and we're not caught out by non-essentials. And thirdly, we need a power to live on that gives us the strength to keep going. So that's three. Number four, Paul, Paul shares that we have a new purpose, a new purpose to live for. How would you fill in this blank? For me to live is. The ads on television tell us, that what the values are in our society for they tell us what we want to hear. Based on advertising, I'd say most Australians will fill in the blank in one of three ways. For me to live is things, possessions, stuff. Get all you can, buy all, buy all the things you need or think you need with money you don't have to impress, to impress people we don't even like. Secondly, for me to live is pleasure. Pleasure. If it feels good, do it. Anything to make us feel good. Anything to relieve the boredom for one little moment. And thirdly, for me to live is power, position, prestige, popularity. We strive for success. And we do everything for recognition, to be popular, to be liked. The problem with possessions and pleasure and power is they don't last Not a lifetime, much less than eternity. They don't offer ultimate fulfilment. If it were true, then the people who have the most possessions, the most pleasure, the most power, the most popularity, would be the most happy people on this earth. But they aren't. The reason there's so much unhappiness in our society, so many discouraged and depressed people, is because in our society there's a total preoccupation with number one, ourselves. What's best for me? What's best? What's in my best interest? What will make me happy? What will make me satisfied or fulfilled? What's the best thing for me? You know, looking at Paul, he was old. He was tired by this stage, and he'd been in prison four years. He was ready to go to heaven. They had taken everything from him friends, ministry, freedom, privacy they had taken everything from him except the one thing that could not be taken from him the one thing that can't be taken from us and that is a purpose to live for Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain Paul was not afraid of dying Let's get that straight. Death for Paul was just moving on to something better. But while I'm here, he says, I have a purpose for living. Paul had a long-term goal. He looked at things in the light of eternity. And in Philippians 3, 13 to 14, he says, what, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize For which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul learnt that when you have a greater purpose in life than just yourself, you'll have more joy than you can handle, more fulfillment than you can handle. There is no such thing, let me say, as problem free living. But when you base your life on the kinds of values that are going to last, then problems don't seem as significant. So what that things don't work out the way that we would have liked or have planned? God has a purpose that is bigger than any of our plans or problems. And we need to discover personally what our purpose is in this world. You might ask, why has God left us on earth after we become a Christian? Once we are his child, his precious child, why does he actually leave us here? Why doesn't he just zoom us up? Well, Paul learnt that his purpose was to tell people about Jesus and to encourage young Christian believers in their faith. You see, your purpose, if it's God's purpose, will always be for the benefit of other people. God will also want you to tell others about him and to encourage each other in the Christian life, in the Christian walk. However, each of us will need to discover God's specific purpose for our life. God wants us to enjoy our lives. But it starts with the foundational values we've been talking about this morning. And just quickly summarising do you have God's perspective on your problems? Do you have God's perspective on your life? We need to pray, Lord, help me to see this problem this challenge, this situation in my life, from your viewpoint. Lord, help me to see what you want me to learn in this particular situation. We need a priority to live for and to live by. And I wonder if you've settled the issue of what's really important in life. Have you learned, have you <clears throat> learned to distinguish what is important and what should come first in life? It says in matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well and as i said before in proverbs 3 6 and everything you do put god first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success focus on what's important get your priorities right thirdly we need a power to live on if you've been trying to do things in your own strength then God says, relax. You are carrying a burden you were never intended to carry. Come to the Lord. Lay your problems at his feet. Give it all to him. And ask him to recharge you physically, spiritually, emotionally. And then you can say, like Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And finally, we need a new purpose. A new purpose to live for. I wonder if you can sum up the purpose of your life in a single sentence. Everybody wants to live a long time, but why? You see, life is judged not by its duration. By the way, happy birthday to my mother-in-law, Rainey. She's 85 today. I knew you'd be embarrassed about that, so I thought I'd throw that one in. (laughs) Everybody wants to live a long time, but life is judged not by its duration, but what's called its donation. What you put into it and into the lives of other people. Many people are giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes, and those causes, you know, are betraying them. It's like climbing the ladder of success in a career, and you get to the top and you find that ladder is actually leaning against the wrong wall you'll say is that all there is I gave my life for this what a waste now having said all that how would you complete that sentence for me to live is some people might say for me to live it's my career you're going to give your blood sweat and tears for a career and then it's going to be over over well some people would say for me to live is popularity. Or well, for me to live is to have a nice home. For me to live is to have food. But I'm going to suggest there's only one answer to that blank that is going to last for an eternity. And you're going to spend more of your life on that side of death than you are on this side. And there's only one answer for me to live is Christ what we're talking about is having a relationship with the one who made us. God made us for a purpose. We're not here by accident and just to take up space in this world. When you discover that purpose, God's purpose for your life, and you get right in the centre of that purpose, you'll find that it fits and it fits well. And you will feel satisfied, fulfilled, and then you'll realise that that is why you're here. Not religion, not, but relationship. Paul didn't say for me to live as religion. He didn't say for me to live as church, Bible study or ministry. No, he said the only thing worth living for is a relationship with the one who made us, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So let's all become superheroes. Superheroes for Jesus. And I just want to conclude with Paul's words in verses 27 and 28 when he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. We do this together by praying for each other, by drawing on the strength of the Holy Spirit, by trusting in the Lord to take us to that place to reveal his purpose for our lives. May we pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you gave Jesus to die for us and that you've given a new, new purpose for us to live And we pray that whatever we do in this life, that it will count, that you'll make it count, and that all that we do will bring glory to you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.